0: So it was, it was nine years for me, four years of undergrad and five years of grad school. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of school. And I have friends that are talking about nine years of just grad school and so in comparison, like having that funding source. And I also had Mm -hmm. two years of graduate LSAMP funding to go back to LSAMP and I didn't have to worry about money and that is, it's huge in grad school money is is tight and mm-hmm. i have friends that that barely make ends meet and mm. there's not enough focus on like like ta ships and ra ships they're just not enough money and um, mm. and so the nsf is able to for these fellowships provide a lot greater of a stipend
1: yeah
0: um, so that was a really big defining kind of
1: moment for me. Are you wondering what's next? Has everything you tried failed? Or maybe you just feel a little bit stuck? Then coaching may be right for you. The coaching relationship is a relationship that's totally centered on you. If you're tired of running on the hamster wheel of life, want to start seeing results, reach out to Paul for help. So what are
2: you waiting for? Go to paulferrambi.com. Or at I am Incredible on all my socials. Click the link in the bio for your free coaching session. I
1: wanna make sure you become the best version of yourself. Turn this up, turn this up! Your professional development is one of the keys to your career success. When you combine your desire to grow with actionable steps, your journey to success becomes an incredible reality. Welcome to The Incredible Paul Podcast and now sharing his expertise, experience and excellence with the world. Here's your host, Paul Ferranby.
2: Hi, I'm Paul Ferranby and welcome to another episode of The Incredible Paul Podcast where we learn to become the best version of, our, of ourselves by learning from others who join the podcast. So, today I have Anna on the podcast, and I should say Dr. Chikis-Mosier, and I will just have her introduce herself and tell us a lot about what she does.
0: Yeah, so as Paul said, I am Anna Chikis-Mosier. Uh, pronouns are she, her. I am currently a Director of Education, Outreach, and Equity um, for a research center at the University of Kansas. I also uh, volunteer a lot for uh, organizations that support historically excluded people in STEM um, and spend most of my free time doing that or (laughs) hanging out with my dogs. That's me.
2: Nice, nice. So uh, what got you into what you're doing now as a director?
0: My background is in behavioral toxicology and in invertebrate biology so basically insects yeah. and, and why insects are uh, impacted by human activity um, and I was as an undergrad I had interest in animal behavior got a psychology degree in addition to my biology degree oh wow um and started kind of doing both social science and insect science at the same time. And when I started my postdoc in entomology, um, it was 2020. So there was so much else going on um, other than than insect biology. Um, And so I started volunteering my time um, to support uh, people of color and Mm When I was looking for jobs, I found that higher education was not a very comfortable place for people of color. And so mm-hmm. I decided to kind of change my career tra- trajectory to focus on professional development, and mm-hmm. equity, and K-12 outreach so that I can be part of the positive change towards an inclusive higher education. Yeah. And that's how I ended up where I am.
2: That's awesome. That's really cool. There's there's so many facets of the, the, the stuff you've done. I know that you mentioned here yeah, that the insects and etymology and what you did in your postdoc and what you're doing now. So um, I'm kind of curious, um, how did you go about uh, of doing a postdoc or even deciding on grad school? That's something that you always knew you wanted to do? Or Was there kind of a, a progression there?
0: Yeah. So when I entered undergrad, um, the reason I started doing the, the two majors is I wanted to be a neurologist. So I wanted oh, wow. to be an MD and study human brains. Wow. And I thought that having two degrees and having research experience was the way to get into med school. Yeah. Um, and so I contacted the only professor who studied animal behavior mm-hmm. um, at the institution that I was at. Um, And he happened to be in the psychology department. And within about a year, I was like, not doing an MD. (laughs) (laughs) I like research too much. And I like being outside too much. Yeah. Um, So I kind of changed. I had already decided that I was going to get a doctorate. Just the field that my doctorate was going to be in shifted.
2: Okay. That makes sense yeah that, that's really cool so for those who, who don't know you kind of give us uh, a sense of like w- locations where you started and where where you've gone some of the if there's any key experiences you got in your undergrad or grad school that kind of led you to where you are now
0: in in undergrad contacting that professor like mm-hmm. obviously changed my whole tra- career trajectory yeah. Um, he set me up with LSAMP he started my research. I continued to do my PhD with him, awesome. um, so I was in his lab for for ten years. So, like, just wow. co- talking to him was like a huge change in my everything. Yeah. Um, and then he happened to study honeybees, um, so a lot of it was just kind of that first connection. And mm-hmm. um, his so after my first year of undergrad. Um, i was able to do a, a research experience for under for undergrads um, with an organization that he was affiliated with and spent a t- summer in turkey and in greece wow.
1: have you enjoyed listening to the incredible Paul podcast are you looking for a way to support it or maybe you just want some swag Check out the Paul store today. We have shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, hats, stickers, and so much more. Go to IncrediPaul.org, incredi org and click on the store link or go to the link in my socials bio and click on the Paul shop. Looking forward to seeing your Paul look. Wow. Yeah.
0: So that that was awesome. And then I knew what an REU was. And so yeah. then I was able to apply the following year. And I went to Montana and studied glacial fish populations. And I did another RU the following year and did uh, climate change in floral populations. And so just like this one connection that I made wow. on day one made all of these additional connections. I knew organizations that I wouldn't have known of otherwise. I knew research experiences that I wouldn't have known of yeah. otherwise. So I really appreciate him. And we're still in contact and working on research together. And he thinks of me very um, paternally, which is sweet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just making that one connection has been everything.
2: That's, that's awesome. Like connections are huge. Networking is huge. Like just the fact that you had one connection that took you to Montana and Turkey and Greece and just giving, getting those research experiences. So I know a lot of people, um, I know uh, just a crazy statistic. Some people have never even left their hometown, Mm -hmm. uh, but you got to go a lot further than that. So I was wondering, how was the transition to spending a summer in Turkey and Greece, like with the the language, the culture, and all of that? Yeah, uh,
0: highly recommend. Um, mm. Highly recommend international experiences, mm-hmm. and if you can do them uh, for free, or better yet, have somebody pay you to do it, which yeah. is what I got. Um, <laughs> highly recommend. Um, yeah, I had traveled with my family prior to traveling to turkey and um, i am an only child of a single mother and so that was really difficult because oh, she man. was really freaked out about me yeah. being gone for nine weeks and yeah. with limited contact yeah. um, and so that was kind of the hardest part for me is mm-hmm. not that the language barriers or all of the pieces of being international it was mm-hmm. more the lock, lack of connection to uh, my people back home
1: yeah
0: um but people in in turkey and greece um there's a lot more english spoken in um in europe than there is other languages spoken in the united states and um, so i didn't really find that to be a significant challenge I was willing to pick up some important words and yeah. they were willing to work with me. Um, and so it ended up being a really great way to just learn new cultures and new experiences. Yeah. And I I loved my time in Turkey. I ended up getting to go back um, as a first-year graduate student. Um,
1: wow.
0: And I was in a different place. I was with a different group of people. Okay. Um, And that's, it was 2016, which was when the uh, government, uh, there was a attempted insurrection. Um, So I got, I I was there for that and fled to Greece. (laughs) Wasn't supposed to go to Greece the second time, um, but ended up in Greece. Turkey may not be the best place for people to go right now, but Mm. it is an incredible country and i highly recommend anyone to go to turkey because it is it's not traditionally the place that people go to visit mm-hmm. like if you're going to the mediterranean people go to greece or italy mm-hmm. yeah but turkey sure. has such incredible people and food and i i adore it
2: oh yeah food is definitely my love language so once you said food i'm all
0: down for that <laughs> Well, and you eat meat, so it is fantastic. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, yeah, no, that's true. Very true. That's that's super exciting. How long have you, um, so I think you you mentioned that you're a director at your institution, but I don't think you mentioned what institution you're at and then how long you, you've been there.
0: Yeah, so I'm at a research center at the University of Kansas. Um, so that's an important distinction because we have kind of our own rules and, uh, and distinctions from Mm -hmm. our main campus, which allows us a lot more flexibility, especially in like equity, Mm -hmm. um, which is, is really cool. Um, so I, um, moved directly from my postdoc into this role and they really saw, um, kind of to go to transferable skills. Mm
1: -hmm. I had
0: applied for faculty positions because if Mm -hmm. you have grad school and postdoc, faculty makes sense mm-hmm. and I'd apply to positions like this um, and they really saw my experience in higher education as a transferable skill That's as nice. a way to connect with the students and the trainees mm-hmm. at our center um, and I really appreciate their ability to see past like traditional career trajectories yeah. and see that just having that experience and I've gotten the same feedback from the grad students that are like you know where we've been you know (laughs) what mental health in grad school looks like yes and so that um I think is a really unique part of my job Mm -hmm. and that I get to connect both as a scientist and as an educator um, and it's it's a really great place to work
1: that's awesome
2: so I know you're at the University of Kansas. I went to Iowa State, as you kind of see with the banner back there. So we're kind of rivals, but I'm mm-hmm. going to let that slide. And this podcast is not really about sports. It's more about um, leadership and just learning from, from each other. So as far as, because I, I know you kind of mentioned the um, academia and then what you're you're doing now and like kind of the, the normal trajectory uh, was there anything that kind of steered you more towards what you're doing now? Because I know you mentioned that you, you, you've you done a lot of volunteering in um, STEM and equity and things like that. Is that what led you down that road? Was there, like, kind of talk me through that process.
0: Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned, I was applying when I was kind of finishing up my postdoc. So I'd mm-hmm. been at my postdoc for about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was applying to both trajectories. I was applying mm-hmm. to equity and education positions and I was applying to faculty, kind of the deciding factor was what's best for my family, mm-hmm. what's best for me, where's a good location. Yeah. Um, so I had kind of, I had two job offers on, on the table, one awesome. in faculty yeah. and one that I took. Um, yeah. And what I saw was that the faculty position was still pretty unstable and temporary yeah. um, and the wages weren't where I wanted to be, and I mm. was going to move further from where my family is uh. and the job that I took was closer yeah. and long term and uh, and in a better fit for me mm-hmm. um, and so I decided to go that way so again, it was just kind of i took i made sure that i had multiple paths Mm -hmm. that i could follow by applying to multiple things by trying multiple avenues um and then once i had options on the table then i made the fit for me and i think that we don't really talk about that enough that yeah there's this kind of thought process that like if you apply for a job then you have to be ready to take it Mm. But after you apply, you can still change your mind. Yeah. You can literally be at the interview. And I. so I was at the interview for this other position that I didn't pick when I received the email that I got this current position. (laughs) And so so I was like, do I continue with this interview? Do I keep going? Yeah. Because I'm literally here. Like, I'm in another state. Mm -hmm. I packed and they are ready for me to interview and so I gave it my all I gave I did my interview they offered me the job the next day and and I was like yeah I got another offer and I think it's a better fit for me nice and so that that was the thing and they were really understanding of that I because I was really upfront with them yeah got an offer while I was at the interview (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's a better offer yeah a, sorry <laughs> and they were like we have a temporary position with not much money we get it this is best for your professional development and that's our goal and I think that good employers are understanding of that
1: yeah so that that's
2: so true and I, I really like the, the process that you went through too as far as like evaluating where you were with your family and even like the salary as well I think that's that's a, a big component and I it's also funny that you got that email before you got, you were going to go interview the I don't know
0: seven o'clock at night
2: yeah I was gonna say kudos for you first getting that interview still going through it and getting another offer I don't know if I could I could have done that I think I would not have been able to focus as much and I would not give them my all to get another offer so that's right
1: really, that's cool
0: yeah it was weird. It was. <laughs> it was definitely weird having to kind of just reset and not think about it. But yeah, it worked out.
2: But it worked out. Well, oh, that's that's really cool. I'm gonna switch gears for just a second, just to show like how we know each other is with a lot of stuff you do with uh, helping p- people who are underrepresented in STEM. Uh so you were really one of the first people who who joined the team with LSAMP alumni group with NALA, now NALA STEM <laughs> through the transitions. Uh, so you you've been a huge, huge involvement with that and held a, a couple of different things there. I might have asked you this, and I think I talked to you about this when you were coming on board, but I'm kind of curious, like what made you join? I'm um, El Samp group and analysis them and stick with it. So far, it's almost been two years. I mean, you could do a lot of other things.
0: <laughs> I love El Yeah, so, I I keep going back to this one professor that I met mm-hmm. because he like he was at my wedding and offered to walk me down the aisle. Like that's oh, how wow. close we are. Like <laughs> yeah. Um, but when he when I met him, he mm-hmm. walked me across campus
1: mm-hmm.
0: and introduced me to the LSAMP directors at, at Oklahoma state university, which is where yeah. I was. Um, and they were incredible and they were this mentorship source and this mm. source of community that I didn't really have. Mm. The first few years of undergrad, I really didn't have a very good community. Um, and the community that I established was through LSAMP.
1: Okay. Um,
0: and so. And that community continued into grad school because I stayed in grad school. Um, And I continued to give back to that particular alliance um, Mm -hmm. and gave a lot of talks. And they continued to fund me in different ways because we had created this really great connection and network Mm -hmm. um, that was really important to my professional development. And so when I got the email that, NALA existed or LSAMP alumni group at the time. Yeah, I was like, great. Like I'm already s- s- giving back to the LSAMP organization that mm. I graduated from. And yeah. I was connecting with the LSAMP organization at the university where I did my postdoc.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: was like, this is just another LSAMP network yeah. that I can give back to and show my appreciation for all of the incredible professional development and community and network that they provided me for the 10 years that I was an undergrad in grad yeah. school.
2: <laughs> uh, that, that's super cool. And it's it's really great having you on, on the team as well. That's, it's been awesome. Like it's, it's been a journey. Um, and for those, I don't think most people really know about that much about LSAP, but the Louis Stokes Alliance for Minority Participation is what it stands for. And it really is helping people who are historically underrepresented in STEM. So uh, whether it's race or gender or ability or really in all in all sorts of things, um, it's an NSF-funded program. They have alliances all over the nation. I think last number I heard was like 56 different alliances. And I know what we've learned is that each alliance is a little bit different. But the ways they do things, which that might be an, a conversation for another, another podcast. But the whole thing is really trying to support people who are in STEM and getting them to get the undergraduate, undergraduate degrees, go to grad school, become um, doctors and PhDs. And I know a lot of stuff we've done with Nala, NALA STEM has been to support a lot of those initiatives, a lot of the stuff with our mentorship program and the different workshops and stuff and you've been a huge uh, part of that so it's it's been really exciting
0: i try anything that i can do to support current students and to com- support the stem workforce and and really higher education inclusion which lsamp is part of that mm-hmm. i'm happy to do because it matters and higher ed has work to do and LSAMP is trying to do that work.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Very true, very true. So I know you mentioned the 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 one professor that's had a really uh, big uh, impact in your life. Were there any other uh, people even um, in LSAMP or even your journey in grad or, or postdoc, any experiences that kind of stick out to you?
0: I... Uh... I received the the Graduate Research Fellowship Program, uh, which is also an NSF program. So I was able to not have to TA or RA as an nice. under or as a grad student. I was able to just focus on my own work, nice. uh, which allowed me to really be efficient in grad school. <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm sure.
0: <laughs> because when you're talking about like so it was, it was nine years for me, four years of undergrad and five years of grad school. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of school. And yeah. I have friends that are talking about nine years of just grad school. And oh, wow. so in comparison, like having that funding source, and I also had two mm-hmm. years of graduate LSAMP funding to go back to LSAMP. Nice. And I didn't have to worry about money. That's good. that is, it's huge in grad school money is is tight and mm-hmm. i have friends that that barely make ends meet and mm. there's not enough focus on like like ta ships and ra ships they're just not enough money and um, mm. and so the nsf is able to for these fellowships provide a lot greater of a stipend
1: yeah
0: and um, so that was a really big defining. Kind of moment for me is just money matters and so every yeah. time I was able to get another like stipend or fellowship that I didn't have to worry about bills
1: mm-hmm.
0: allowed me to keep going and so yeah. that was that was a huge deal
2: Oh, I bet. Yeah. Money is, it's, it's a huge thing. I think that can be a reason that some people don't, aren't able to do things they want to do. Like whether it's like even, um, even in undergrad, like getting scholarships, or um, I know there's a temptation for people to try and go to like um, the, the Harvards and MITs of the world, which is, it's not a bad thing, but I mean, um, if you're having to pay out of pocket and you got a scholarship somewhere else, I think just you have to look really hard about taking thousands of dollars worth of loans, which is a, a pretty big decision to to make when you're eighteen years old, which is it's crazy to think about,
0: yeah, I think that that's a really good point, that that people are talking about tens of thousands of dollars as eighteen year olds, and yeah. they really don't have the like background to comprehend just how much money that is and how long mm-hmm. it's going to take to pay it off yeah and because of all of these grants and and funding sources I wasn't I really didn't end up with uh loans when I when I finished school and part of that is that I went to a cheap school I went to a state school and I like to say that I was a big fish in in, there's a big fish in a big pond versus being a small fish in a really expensive pond (laughs) and so I I was able to really make a big deal yeah at Oklahoma State Mm -hmm. because I was competing with with people that were at state school and not competing with people who I don't know I I really highly recommend not having not going to a crazy expensive school just for the name when you can do incredible things at a cheaper school and have that cv when you graduate yeah that's what jobs are gonna look at your cv and they'll see oh well they graduated from harvard but my cv had publications and grants Mm -hmm. When I finished undergrad, and I probably wouldn't have had that if I'd gone to a really prestigious school. Yeah. To go back to your question about kind of defining moments, I had the same kind of two pathway when I was finishing up undergrad and going to grad school. The same pathway that I just described with kind of director of education and Mm -hmm. faculty, I was convinced that even though I had all of this background in honeybees, that I was going to study monkeys and that they just needed to understand that <laughs> I could do it. Yeah. Um, so I applied to all these grad schools that, and primatology programs, but the thing about studying monkeys is you can't get into studying monkeys without experience studying monkeys. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> and so one professor agreed to give me a chance and accepted me to her program at SUNY Stony Brook so I would have had to move to Long Island wow they couldn't give guarantee me any sort of funding so I would have had to move to Long Island on loans (laughs) or I could stay at Oklahoma State and be a TA because at that Mm -hmm. point I didn't have the GRFP or the Mm BD or anything um be a TA at least I have some sort of income coming in it's not just purely loans yeah and so I decided to go with the cheap option because yeah. it was easier for my family. It was less expensive. Mm-hmm. I don't study primates. That would have been super duper cool. But <laughs> yeah, bees are really cool too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and I have a decade worth of experience in bees now. And so it worked out. I, I trusted the process and made the fit that made sense with me.
2: Yeah. That, that, that's super cool i like that i the the, the recurring thing i'm hearing from you and i totally agree with it is really understanding like what you've done and what you want to do but not letting um not trying to to uh, let money get in the way of things i know like it's really easy to be like okay i want i really want to do this and no matter how much it costs or whatever it is i'm going to try and do it you know, you necessarily didn't have all the background background experiences in it. Um, but you kind of you it looks like you kind of created your your own path and stuck with it.
0: I think being flexible is really important, like being open to multiple opportunities, applying mm. to multiple opportunities yeah. and then seeing well, there's there's a route here like maybe it wasn't my first choice yeah maybe it wasn't the thing that i pictured for myself when i was making all of these applications but there's a way that i can reach my goals if i pursue this other path and it's mm-hmm. worked out for me i i think that that flexibility is really valuable in understanding that there's so many ways to get to the same goal. We tend to get like mm. tunnel vision that, like, if you you have to do A, B, C, yeah. and you can get to D, and there's no yeah. other way. Yeah, but maybe you got to jump to F first. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I know. Like,
0: you, there's a way.
2: Yeah, yeah. Life is not a con- connect the docs exercise. It Has its mm-hmm. highs and lows, and like, I I really haven't seen anyone that knows exactly what they want to do at the beginning and they follow it to the letter all the way through.
0: When I, when I was 16, so I met my, my now husband when I was 16. I'm only ever like, he's the only person I dated. So high school sweethearts. And, and so when I was 16, I had a 10 year plan. I'm going (laughs) to do undergrad and then Halfway through grad school, we'll get married. Like I had this very clear 10 year plan. And for the most part, I did end up finishing that 10 year plan. And we got married halfway through grad school. And, but then I reached the end and I looked back and I was like, this is a goal that I set when I was 16 and now I'm 26. And maybe this wasn't exactly what I want when, now Mm -hmm. that I'm 26. Mm -hmm. And like, not the marriage part. I love my husband, just to be (laughs) (laughs) clear. But if I had kind of checked in along the way, Mm. I think that I might have made slightly different decisions. Yeah. But instead, I was just so hyper focused on Mm. the 10 year plan that I had designed when I was 16. And that worked out. But then at 26, I'm applying for postdocs. And I'm like, do I really want to do a postdoc? But this is the next step when it's you have your doctorate. It's the next thing. Yeah. And I didn't really have any other options. And so mm. now I'm really trying to make sure I have more options,
1: mm.
0: not getting that 10 year plan. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I know, know.
2: That, that that's really cool. I'm, I'm glad that you shared that because I feel like. Oftentimes in interviews or just in conversation, people are like, What what are you gonna like? Where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years or long term? And I feel like what you're saying is that honestly, you may or may not know. You're really just open to opportunities because you learn that when you lock yourself into a plan you made 10 years ago, you may or may not be that same person.
0: Exactly. I don't wanna wake up when I'm 40 and go, what did I do with the last 10 years? Like (laughs) what, why Mm -hmm. I could have, I could have done six other things or Mm -hmm. I could have tried and done more. And so now I'm just opportunities. I'm seeking them out and I'm pursuing them as they come instead of being like by 40, this is what I'm going to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. So well, that's really cool. I've heard something which is kind of radical, like uh, someone said that well, that goals are dumb, which I don't, like in the whole sense of things, like that that's probably like a clip that someone could take that like, goals are dumb, but like more so in the fact of like just having a general direction you want to go. Because mm-hmm. if you think about it, once you meet a goal, you've met it. And then sure there's, There's excitement when you meet it, but then what's next? You're just saying another goal. And I think like kind of what you were saying, just um, you can have goals and have a direction. I think more direction or a path you want to take, but still being open to stuff that comes your way um, is important as well.
0: I I completely agree. I think that I I don't believe that goals are dumb. I I (laughs) accept goals, but I don't want to... I don't want to set a 10-year goal yeah. and have that mm-hmm. be the only option. Yeah. I want to have my 10-year goal to be 18 different options. And mm. I'm going to pursue all of those paths kind of simultaneously. Yeah, And some of them will wither and some of them will strengthen. And then in 10 years, I'll have a better idea of what I want.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: it allows more of that checking in with yourself to mm-hmm. make sure that like, is this the time for a career change? Is this the time for a move? Yeah. Rather than just, here we go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think part of
2: that is just like the seasons you are in your life, because there's just different seasons, like who you are when you're 16 and single, just starting to know your now husband is not the same person you are when you guys have been married for a few years And you guys have different uh, goals or different things you want to do. So I think just even like a couple of years ago, I'm like, yeah, that made sense. Like when I wasn't married or just could just go out on a whim somewhere. But now I'm being more intentional and more structured Mm -hmm. and having those open conversations with managers and people that said like, hey, this this is what I'm doing right now. I don't want to do that forever or just... Me personally, I I always tell people that the best time to look for a job is when you already have a job Mm -hmm. because you're, you don't have, you're not, if if you're fortunate enough, I know like layoffs happen and then downsizing happens. But if you already have a job, you're more likely to look at it objectively and ask the questions that you're not going to ask when you're like, oh, I just really need a job right now. um, And just making sure that it has a path for growth. I mean, Yes, money is good, but at the same time, are you going to make a lot of money and hate going to work every day or not have the flexibility that you want or need and all that stuff?
0: Yeah, I think that that's, that's really important. When when we were deciding about what we were going to do with my postdoc, because mm-hmm. um, my career kind of dictates our location and our salary. Mm-hmm. Um and so we were, we were discussing it at that point. And at the point when we were finishing, when I was finishing grad school, moving into this postdoc, we were open to many opportunities. We were mm-hmm. even open to moving to the north where it's cold. And I personally <laughs> don't deal with winter, but we were open to it. Um, and we ended up in Alabama. And it was a really good fit for us. Um, but after living there for, for two years, when there were two jobs on the table, one that was mm. further east and one that was back because I'm from the Midwest mm-hmm. um, and my husband's from the Midwest, mm-hmm. that was our priority was yeah. to get back home. And mm. and having, like, if I had still been on that one track mind of just mm-hmm. faculty, I wouldn't have been open to mm. The opportunity that was a better fit for my family and yeah. 10 years ago that didn't matter yeah even two and a half three years ago it didn't matter as much mm-hmm. once you kind of become the more adult you become not that we yeah. ever really become adults but the more <laughs> adult that you become the more that those priorities change and matter and mm-hmm. my keeping my dogs comfortable is number one for me mm. <laughs> so that that was a piece of it yeah that was a piece of moving will my dogs like it
2: yeah no that's true it's funny to say but it is those little things that you don't necessarily think about um at the beginning and they can become big things really quickly Mm -hmm. well we're about out of time it really flew by but i want people to know how to connect with you whether it's on social media or wherever website um yeah how how can people reach out so you connect with you
0: yeah um so i'm on linkedin um at anna chicas Mosier. um i'm also on twitter at Diversity, although admittedly <laughs> i don't use it as much as i should but feel free to follow me and maybe i'll pick up
2: <laughs> yeah, there it is <laughs> diversa b
0: diversa b
2: i like that yeah as you couldn't tell by the name of this podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's just like incredible <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
2: and is there is there anything um, else you, you like to share that we we kind of talked about the flexibility your, your focus on helping people in stem and all that is there anything else you want to share with our the listeners before I let you go
0: I just want to reiterate go ahead and apply. I I like to end all of my like panels, like the every time that I'm able to speak to students or Mm. people, stick the application in. Don't Mm. self select out because there's no way you're going to get the opportunity if you don't put the application in. Mm. But if you do put the application in and you get it, then you get to make that choice. And if it's not the right fit for you, then just say no, Yeah, but go ahead and put the application in and see what happens.
2: I like that. With that, we'll wrap things up. You heard it here. Whatever it is you're thinking about doing, whether it's a job, a side business, or whatever it is, just go for it, do it. You can always say no, but if you don't start, you can't say no. It's You don't have that option. So I hope you learned from Anna's story um, and definitely connect with her and join us for another episode of the Paul podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to the Paul podcast with Paul Ferronbi. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. And be incredible. 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 incredible.